We have to remember when you look back at Westray, a week before that mine exploded, Westray received the safety award and everybody knew that that was a disaster waiting to happen. That's how you change people's minds, is you have people constantly being reminded that this is not some historical event, this is happening today. We're listening to WorkShift, a podcast from the Workers' Compensation Board of Nova Scotia. So on May the 9th, we're going to mark the 30th anniversary of the Westray mining disaster, where 26 miners lost their lives because the company running the mine put profits before safety. Westray actually left an indelible mark on our province and prompted major changes to workplace health and safety. We've made a lot of progress actually since then, and you know I'm very proud of the fact that on behalf of Nova Scotians that we have half the number of workplace injuries today. We also have better awareness, better safety programs, better adherence to safety legislation. The silver lining in Westray is it gave us all a deep understanding of what can happen when we don't put safety first. One of the biggest challenges to come from a Westray bill was Bill C-45, and it made gross negligence that leads to grievous bodily harm in the workplace an offense under the criminal code punishable by jail time. It's very controversial at times. And after 20 years, we've had relatively few convictions across Canada and, and none in Nova Scotia. My name's Stuart McLean, and we're going to talk about the legacy of Westray, what we can do to eliminate workplace tragedies. Joining me today, is Danny Cavanaugh, President of the Nova Scotia Federation of Labour, and Alex Keevney, Senior Crown Counsel for the Public Prosecution Service. Both Danny and Alex are very passionate safety champions. Danny, from his perspective as President of the Federation of Labour, he really, really cares about people and he really cares about uh, safe workplaces. Now, Alex, on the other hand, as, as Senior Crown Counsel with the Public Prosecution Service, he is the first person when the government established a prosecution service, Alex came into this role. So he had to kind of create it from scratch. And he's done a tremendous job finding his way through a lot of challenges, that's for sure. And we're going to hear about those today. So I'm, I'm really excited to have Danny and Alex as our guests. Let's start with you, Danny. Uh, where were you when you first heard the news of Westray? Oh, geez, I forget. I'm probably working, I guess. So I'm a municipal worker by trade. So back in that year, I it was probably home in bed, I guess. It was 5.15 in the morning or whatever. But we got up in the morning and heard the news on the radio. And, of course, many of us continued on with their lives as the story unfolded over in Pictou County that day. But it was... Uh, it was very tragic, and of course, being a person from the trade union movement, um, we're always concerned when we hear of such tragedies and, and the number of lives that were affected with the uh, Westray explosion. Alex, do you remember where you were? You probably been in junior high school or something like that. I was just a year outside of high school. I was I wasn't uh, I grew up in PEI in Newfoundland, and I was uh, out of the country actually at the time. So I, I I wasn't around even to read the news. This is not this is obviously pre-internet. Um, so I, I didn't even, we didn't even make the news where I was uh, at the time. Well, I can tell you it was, I can remember watching the news and workers' compensation staff were on the scene and as Department of Labor staff were, and the whole province was waiting with their bated breath, that old expression, as, as miners rushed to try to save people. Uh, Danny, now 30 years on, why is it still important for us to remember what happened at Westray? Well, I think, you know, anytime there's, these kinds of tragedies, we always have to remember them because we need to do 
you know, as much as we can to prevent any of those kinds of things from happening again. That's why uh, one of the reasons as a president of the Federation of Labor, you know, I uh, talk to folks at the, at the Occupational Health and Safety Branch. I think that, you know, any mining that happens here in Nova Scotia has to be a zero tolerance around uh, occupational health and safety when it comes to uh, especially underground mining in uh, in this province. So, uh, you know, mining will probably be part of our history, you know, for a while to come. We do have, you know, one underground mine that's currently closed and not operating in Cape Breton, but that doesn't mean that there may not be some in the future. So, you know, we have to learn those lessons, and we can never have a tragedy like that uh that happened again and you know one of the good things that came out of it was of course the Westray law but when we look back on it 30 years ago since 2004 I guess since the Westray legislation came into force um, today I guess as we reflect back it's not the bill I don't think is doing as it was intended to do originally so with so few charges laid under the Westray legislation right across the country. Have you seen uh, improvements over the years in, in terms of safety, or, or are you, are you, do you think it's really we're still in the Stone Ages here? Well, you know, I, I don't think it'd be very fair to say we're still in the Stone Ages, but but I think you know we've come a ways. Things are improving, but they're still not. I don't think uh, where they need to be. I you know I think that there needs to be a huge culture shift about safety. Safety is one of those things that we can't measure kind of how well we're doing and I should just strictly go by the numbers of the amount of workers that died. And I just went back since 2004, in particular in Nova Scotia, so I took the numbers that Workers' Comp had about workers who either died at her because of work and we've had about 458 people that died at or because of work just since 2004. So I think we can do better than that. Yeah, I think all of us in the in this business would say one fatality is too many. Uh, I think we're all on the same page. One of the things I think makes us kindred spirits in in safety is that all of us want a worker to go to work and then come home to their their family in the same condition that they went uh, to work. And I think any it's, it's just not acceptable to have um, fatalities in this day and age. What would you say is the biggest improvement you've seen in worker safety since Westray? One of the things that, that I can reflect on is, you know, a number of years ago, I was a, a member of a committee that worked in this province to put together the, you know, the set of traffic control rules that we have for the highways today. You know, and it wasn't that many years ago when there was a number of workers who would be working on our roads and highways and were killed on the job. Um, one of those tragedies happened, you know, just outside the airport on the on the 102 highway and the committee was struck and put together. So we come up with some of the regulations that we see today. It still doesn't, you know, it's still not preventing all the accidents, but I think, you know, it's probably prevented a number of those. As I said, there's, there's no tool that we have that can measure exactly how many how many deaths have been prevented? But I would say that's one of the one of the tools that you know because we have much stronger traffic control regulations, as an example, in the province that that's that's worked to help eliminate a number of deaths or serious injuries. But um, like you say, they still happen, and we still you know we still have some ways to go, maybe around some of the work that we need to do.
Alex, what drives you to do the work that you do? Now, I don't have a, a personal memory of West Ray uh, because I was just too young at the time, but I can tell you watching even the um, recent commercials sort of commemorating the 30th anniversary and, and seeing the, the, the co-workers and the family members who lost people. And when I see those uh, people speak, to me, there's no air between that loss and the loss that I see on the faces of family members and co-workers um, today who've, who, you know, who may have lost someone uh, six months ago. It's exactly the same kind of impact, the same kind of frustration that how could this possibly be happening? I mean, that's, that's all the motivation I think anyone needs. How are we getting better when it comes to holding workplaces accountable? I mean, we heard Danny talk about the fact that there hasn't been a prosecution over 30 years in C45. You know, it's probably debatable about what impact that the bill has had. How do you think we're getting better at holding uh, workplaces accountable? I've been sort of dedicated to the workplace prosecution since 2014, so it's only been eight years. But um, to me, I see two basically, two phenomenon at play. One, you have complex safety systems that are put in place to, to, to avoid the kind of tragedy like you had at Westray that break down through some, for some reason or another, whether it's through um, inattention or complacency. And I see safety professionals you know, working hard to fill those gaps. And then I see on the so other side of things, especially in, in smaller industries where they maybe don't have the resources for that kind of infrastructure, a level of carelessness that is sort of surprising. You know, people who are choosing uh, to put their workers uh, sort of on a roof without installing the anchors for the fall protection. Um, so, you know, I, I, I take it from the people I've dealt with that essentially now on the egregious side, we're sort of chasing the real diehard non-compliance people, whereas, you know, it's a much more collaborative for the, for the vast majority of workplaces where, you know, people, no, one is, no one is treating safety as a second thought, but it's more a question of constant improvement and constant uh, attention. And the, the hardest thing is keeping that focus, not falling into a, a complacency where, you know, you, you let things happen because... Um, you've been lucky. Well, luck is one of those words that you don't, you could have no injuries and you could be very lucky and have no, not have a safety system in place. We all know that. We've all heard that far too often. But when, when it comes to uh, criminal charges, I mean, it, it's always very difficult to understand, um, you know, how criminal intent comes up against when something so terrible happens. Because when something terrible happens, I think all of us agree including the employer, that this is not the outcome that anyone would want. And I think one thing, Stuart, that we need to recognize that when you look at the improvements is having somebody like Alex here now that was hired on, in the special prosecution office just to follow through with some of those criminal charges, you know, that get laid under the Westray bill. So that's been, a, that's been quite an improvement in this province. We're one of the few provinces in the country that actually has a special prosecutor that's named for such things. We're lucky in our province to have somebody that can chase those charges. Mm -hmm. I agree with you on that. Alex, why, why would you say it's been so hard to achieve convictions under the Westray bill? To my mind, as a prosecutor, um, these are all very practical problems. You know, every time a file comes in, and obviously we're, we're dealing, we're starting, the starting point is finding some degree of negligence under OSH. And then if it appears that that degree of negligence is even more pronounced, then we look at criminal negligence and, and criminal charges. Practically speaking, one of the reasons why I think it's, it's difficult to advance these prosecutions is that the criminal negligence standard under the criminal code is, is a very hard 
test to meet. I mean, ultimately, we're talking for the most part about workplaces where even if you have a workplace where people are willing to take a shortcut on safety, like you you have a fishing boat where, where they're not making sure that the, that the crew member who doesn't want to wear their PFD wears the PFD, or they're, you know, they're not making sure the person who ties off ties off, we, we have to do more than show negligence. We have to show there's a wanton or reckless disregard for, for human life. And you know, the, one of the challenges you have uh, is a human challenge is that um, the accused invariably um, care deeply about the person who is dead. You know, and so to, to convince a, a judge or a jury beyond a reasonable doubt that that person had a want and a reckless disregard can be a real practical, real, a real challenge. And then you add to that other challenges that are always, you know, I think this is the, the thing with workplace safety, like most things worth doing in life, it's not a situation where we're ever going to get to the finish line on this. You know, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, there's going to be people sitting around having the same conversation we have. How can we do better? How can we make things safer? Take that into a courtroom and you have all the emotion that's there, but also you have in the cases that we've run others who are just adjacent, who are also working in the same industry, who are taking the same kind of shortcuts. And the judges are looking and going, well, but everyone's sort of making these same choices. How can this person's choices be singled out as as sort of this higher standard of negligence. We call the expert evidence and we, we put forward all the, the standards and the evidence, but it's a challenge. It's a, it's a really challenging uh, thing to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. That's the main reason, I think. I mean, you look across the country, there have been prosecutions, but as many have been unsuccessful as have, as have been successful, and it's not for want of effort, it's because these are extremely nuanced and challenging uh, issues. There's no knife in someone's back. That's much easier. It's more cut and dry. This is really challenging. It becomes even more challenging because it's not just, well, if you think about, I'll call it the scatter of, 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 of trauma and, and the hurt. You know, you, you mentioned a fishing fatality, and I don't think it's any secret that I care a lot about fishing safety because we see the, the majority or, or a lot, at least a lot, of fatalities in fishing, and they continue to happen over and over again, even where they've cut their costs in half. But what is is more notable to me is, you know, I've met with widows, and I've met with mothers that have lost sons, and I've met with the captains of ships that have lost people overboard. Everyone, every person is devastated. The communities are devastated. Everyone in New Glasgow Everyone in the mining sector remembers deeply, deeply what it felt like that morning. You know, it's interesting because we've seen such a, an improvement of over 50% of the number of people getting hurt. Yet, we still have, as Danny mentioned earlier, we still have lots of people that are, are going to work and they're actually dying uh, in the course of trying to carry out their job and not, not coming home safely to their family. Alex, would you say that there's more could be done or should we be doing something different? Do you have any ideas around having employers understand that they can be criminally liable? Does that, is that awareness in that space going to help? I think from a, from a prosecution perspective, I, I like to sort of see the whole framework of enforcement and see, see it operate as a whole. And I can tell you, like, for example, obviously criminal negligence causing death, criminal code offenses generally, this is, you know, the criminal code is something that we reserve for actions that we've all decided are inherently wrong. We have that structure. But also, I think a big part of workplace safety, you have to also keep in mind 
the constitutional structure in this country. Like it isn't for the federal government to determine how manufacturing is done in Nova Scotia. That's a provincial responsibility under the Constitution. So I guess to my mind, um, we need to have the highest form of penalties for when there is behavior that meets that high moral threshold. And, you know, I think anyone who who courts that kind of risk, who takes those kind of chances with their employers, they, they, they should fear a criminal negligence prosecution. Because you know, if that, uh, you know, it's, it's not because people aren't looking to, to prosecute that behavior, but at the same time, the vast majority of, of files that I see um, are a conduct that falls squarely within provincial occupational health and safety. Uh, it's still very blameworthy conduct. Um, it still results in the worst consequences imaginable. I guess, to my mind, you could make an argument that um, our conduct that falls squarely within provincial occupational health and safety, uh, it's still very blameworthy conduct. Um, it still results in the worst consequences imaginable. Um, so I guess, to my mind, you could make an argument that penalties at, for OSH should be higher because you need to recognize the blameworthiness there. That's been a challenge. I mean, that's uh, ultimately, um, that's always going to be a, a challenge, especially when you're, you're sentencing sort of corporate entities because you, you really only have the one tool, uh, generally, which is money. Like strengthening the OSH framework is always going to have a greater impact than focusing on the criminal conduct. The criminal offenses exist for a reason, because that conduct is morally wrong. The OSH consequences can recognize blameworthiness, can recognize the, the captain who, who doesn't make sure that every single time that they're putting out the traps, everyone's got their PFDs on. I mean, that's blameworthy in my mind. That's conduct that needs to be denounced, that needs to be condemned. But that's really going to be happening on a provincial level. You're listening to WorkShift. To learn more from the Workers' Compensation Board of Nova Scotia, you can visit worksafeforlife.ca. Danny, what still needs to be done and how is the Federation of Labor leading the charge? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that we think about all the time, and I think a number of you know, workers kind of think about when they hear about, you know, somebody tragically died in a workplace accident, you know, and then you don't see any criminal charges laid under under that, right? So there's there's a few things that people, I think, need to understand. It's only the police or the Crown that can lay any charges under the, under, under the criminal code. Um, the, the occupational health and safety people here on the street in Nova Scotia that operate under our Occupational Health and Safety Act follow a whole different set of rules, right? Not the, as Alex pointed out, not the federal regime. So that's why it's good to have a special prosecutor in the province because they can actually lay those charges. The problem that we see with it is that oftentimes, I would argue that most times when there's a workplace death, the police are always first on the scene. Uh, they've lacked a lot of training about how to maybe do an investigation into a workplace death. Oftentimes, sadly, I think that, um, you know, they get to a workplace accident and they just as soon turn it over to the province to let them look after it. They just view it as 
a workplace accident and they don't start any criminal investigation. Now, one of the things that kind of gets to me is the fact that, you know, if if the police are called and they found a body laying in an alleyway somewhere, they automatically start an investigation into that. Why Why is that any different when they find, you know, they're called and there's a body in a workplace? Why don't they start that criminal investigation immediately then? And if the criminal investigation leads them anywhere, then charges get laid. And if it doesn't, so be it, it doesn't. And then, you know, whatever falls out of it, whether they're provincial charges or whatever falls out of it. But I think that's where a lot of people have a lot of misunderstanding about it. You know, the criminal, the criminal intent of it, I get that it's really hard probably to prove. I know Alex probably feels some frustration because... We did have one case in Nova Scotia where the guy was acquitted and, uh, you know, a lot of work and effort goes into trying to make sure that those charges stick. But the only way I think we're going to have a culture shift in this province, if the judges start handing out tougher penalties, whether they be fines, that if we start seeing uh, some of the corporate leadership end up in jail under the Westray bill, that can happen. So... You know, in the in the trade union movement, there's often, you'll hear people say, kill a worker, go to jail. That was part of, you know, the intent, I think, of the Westray Bill to have criminal charges where there could be jail time laid against somebody. Uh, we have to remember, when you look back at Westray, a week before that mine exploded, Westray received a safety award. And everybody knew that that was a disaster waiting to happen. The unions fought very hard uh, afterwards and had that had that award uh, revoked from from Westray. But there's never been a charge to the folks that ran that mine yet to this day, and the, you know, and there never will be. So, so I think that's part of trying to get people to understand that. Um, I think that the Westray bill uh, legislation itself needs to be looked at again and maybe some tweaks or however you want to put it made to made to that piece of legislation to make it a bit easier to make sure that you know when there are charges laid that they can stick i'm not a lawyer so i don't know what that would be but i think there's lots of things but one of the first things is we need more training for the police when they get on scene to be able to do those investigations and and see where that leads them and I, I mean, I, I completely agree. I mean, I think it's very challenging for police because it is, in, in a lot of ways, quite different than what they are used to. I mean, these are, you know, often in a workplace is a much more sophisticated environment than, than the police are normally looking into. I remember hearing the staff sergeant who um, had, was on shift on Christmas Eve in 2009 when the Metron disaster took place. And he, you know, he was explaining the practicalities of the police investigation into that incident. And it was, it was fascinating because it was so foreign to, um, to a police officer. I mean, even down to the fact that, and I know that this is maybe a bit in the weeds, but I know many people know the details of that tragedy. Um, which was essentially the collapse of a swing stage, and there weren't um, there was a, both a defect in the swing stage, but also a, a lack of safety lines. And um, obviously, you know, the police in that case, I think they only recognized the next day that a swing stage is attached by weights on the roof of the building. They didn't even know that that was part of the scene that they should be investigating, and that is an education issue. And I know, and these are, you know, I think constant uh, education 
from all parties, including the police and including prosecutors, is essential um, because there is a gap, a knowledge gap. But it, it is an, it's just an, it is an incredibly challenging area of the law generally. And I, and I think when you look back since 2004 with, uh, you know, something like 18 charges laid under the Westray legislation and less than half of those where the charges kind of stuck, there's been a number of times where they haven't, haven't stuck, right? Well, like I said, one of them was here in Nova Scotia. But even if you look at Nova Scotia since 2004, the number of workplace deaths and how many how many charges have actually been laid under the Westray legislation? I think that speaks volumes about whether the bill, you know, whether the intent of that legislation is doing as it was intended. And I would surmise that it's not doing as it was intended. And something, so something needs to change if we want to improve things, right? And sadly, the only way that people can catch on that they can't cut corners when it comes to health and safety is bigger fines. I mean, if you look at a 10 or 20 or 30 or $100,000 fine for a major corporation, I mean, really, that's just pennies in the bucket to any major corporation. So, uh, But I bet you if you saw some people from the corporate boardroom to the boss uh, end up in jail, you'd, you'd see some differences, I think, of, of an opinion. And I'm not suggesting that anybody goes to work with the intent of cutting corners that someone dies on the job. But, you know, things do happen. And when there's a lack of safety, you know, on the job and people cut corners for cost-saving measures or whatever it is, they need to end up in jail, I think. Danny, any final thoughts about um, what still needs to be done? Well, uh, I think we just need to keep plugging away. We need to, we need to work together. One of the things that I think under my leadership at the Federation of Labor, it's, you know, our ability to reach out and work with folks at the Occupational Health and Safety Branch, at Workers' Compensation, like yourself, Stuart, and other people, and some of your board members there. And, uh, you know, this isn't the first time that me and Alex have talked about uh, some of this kind of work that needs to happen. So, you know, to, to, to reach out and have these discussions, I know the province wants to move ahead and uh, they're trying to pull together now a, a gathering of some police departments across the province to talk about some of this stuff and how we can make some improvements. Sometimes the wheels turn a little slow for me, but uh, we keep plugging along and trying to do the best we can. As um, as I said one time to a, another group of people, when you know, I don't mind sitting in the room and talking to somebody that. You would think for the most part we have huge differences, so we never speak. It's no different than, you know, I speak to folks at the Chamber of Commerce every now and then. We're all here. We all want a province that's a good place to work and live and raise our families. The paths that we're on are are quite different, but I think at the end of the day we need to make sure that those those paths, those roads come together so um, we can make the improvements that we're talking about here today and make sure that uh, no worker, again, has to, you know, get up in the morning and go to work and not come home in the evening. You know, I can't imagine what that's like to, you know, have the police come and knock on your door and say, you know, your husband's not going to be home this evening. He was killed in a workplace accident. And 
that's something that we need to make sure that we all work together to try to prevent from happening to any family, uh, not just in this province, but in this country. And it's a sad testament when we have, on average, about a thousand workers in, in our country that go to work in the morning and don't come home in the evening. How about you, Alex? Any, any final thoughts to wrap things up? Well, I just to comment on a couple of things that Danny had touched upon, which I think sort of tie together. And, and one of them, just to just to back up, is the is the penalties they get to get imposed for even OSH violations. Obviously, you know we we know we've spoken a lot of the challenges of criminal code charges, and and, and but on the OSH side of things, we've obviously had a lot more of those prosecutions. But I completely agree that. Um, that penalties are not as strong as they as they need to be. I'd make two sort of two observations. One, obviously, you know, we've we've been working, we have in this province on the books at least um, some of the highest penalties available in the country for workplace offenses, um, and the, the broadest range of of other sentencing options. But at the same time, the sentences that get imposed tend to be lower amounts than than you know. I I, I know that I. Frequently, one of the conversations I have with, whether it's the, the partner or the children or the parents of someone who's died, one of the first conversations I have is that just just to set your expectations, when this ends, you know, the penalty is going to be much lower than you think is appropriate. And that's a problem. You know, that's a real problem that there are no easy solutions to. We've made some modest gains uh, in that department, but there's a long way to go. But on the other side of it, and this ties into what Danny was was saying about sort of conversations with people, is one thing we have in this province that I that I can tell you is one of the sentencing aspects that I think have the most impact is we have what's called creative sentencing, which is where the offender can be ordered to often the most common is to give safety presentations about what happened. I find, you know, sometimes obviously people don't want to cooperate, and that's fine. But there's been lots of other circumstances where the offender um, is quite motivated to share the message of what happened and to spare other families and, and other employers what they've caused and what they've been through. That's how you change people's minds, is you have people constantly being reminded that this is not some historical event. This is happening today. And these deaths are avoidable and this is why they're happening and open your eyes because it could be happening right next to you and i think the I think that's my favorite part of of the job is these conversations because you know that's how we stay motivated that's how you stay focused i certainly look forward to, to many more of those kind of discussions because that's where the real change happens yeah i agree with all that by us all working together uh, we can do better and we need to do better. And I think we all recognize that because we all want at the end of the day, the province that's a good place to work, live and raise our families. That, that's an excellent uh, summary, Danny. Um, I think if I was, to, and, and I want to really thank both of you for being here today. Uh, if I take anything away, I think we all understand that uh, the safety is serious business. We all understand that there are way too many people who are dying on the job uh, in some fashion. And, you know, I, I want to say anecdotally, the acute fatalities are the ones where someone falls or someone gets hit by a car. These things happen and, and they're fairly highly high profile. But there's a lot of people that die because of occupational disease. And these are things that happen over a lifetime. And we've got to be just as diligent around, around those types of things. But, you know, in summary, you know, safety is all around us right now. If you think about what's happened with the pandemic, you know, the mask is personal protective equipment, safe, 
safe distance, hand washing, those are safety protocols. You know, I, I kind of attribute it to why our, our time loss injuries are down because everyone dusted off those programs. But at the end of the day, as we try to change behaviors, we need to start with awareness and that leads to attitudes and behaviors changing. And then you have to ensure that you have a best practice approach. And I'm, I'm quite confident that uh, charging people in the criminal when you have an s- extreme circumstance, that that's a best practice approach. I'm not sure if it's best practice to have a lot of them, but I know that uh, what, what Alex has laid out for us here today is, ne- is a necessity uh, for sure. And, and Danny, your passion for making a difference and, and leading the, all of the different labor movements and the people of this province, I, I, I will say thank you very much, gentlemen, for, I think, an excellent conversation. I hope uh, people heard some things to take away and think about, and I hope the conversation continued. So for our next podcast, we're going to focus on mental health. Uh, We're going to talk with leaders from that sector and really explore how safer workplaces can be created by building resilience in people and having a best practice approach to supporting them when when they've had a traumatic uh, psychological event. Should be interesting. So hope you tune into that as well. You are listening to WorkShift, a podcast from the Workers' Compensation Board of Nova Scotia. If you would like to learn more, you can visit worksafeforlife.ca.